Good morning. My name is Eric, as John said, and I wanted to first start with a picture of our family. Um, it's my beautiful wife, JJ, and our three awesome kids, Noah, Ian, and Ellie. So I wanted to ask you a question. How would you describe yourself? JJ and I have been living in China for 14 years. All three of our kids were born in China, and uh, we, we love what we do here, and we're glad to be here, and glad to be part of Capital. But how would you describe yourself? You know, that's a tough question. Perhaps you're, you're wondering, well, Eric, what are you getting at? Are you asking me my occupation? Are you asking me my personality? Are you asking me about my physical features? Or are you, are you asking, well, what do I want to be known for? I want to be known as a loving husband, as an awesome father, as a passionate follower of Christ. Or maybe when you heard the question, how would you describe yourself, you didn't think, what do I want to be known for? But maybe you were thinking, what's true of me right now? I'll be honest, I'm, I'm tired. I'm lonely. I'm insecure. Is that how you would describe yourself? Last summer, we went back to the States, and my son Noah, who's 10 years old, was asked to speak at a Sunday school class in front of about 100, 150 kids about what it's like to grow up in China. And so he got up and he introduced himself, and he said, hi, my name's Noah, I'm 10 years old. This is my brother Ian, he's eight years old. This is my sister Ellie, she's six years old. And this is my mom, JJ, who's 39 years old. And after, after he said that, the kids didn't care, but all the adu adults working in the Sunday school class were mortified that Noah mentioned the age of, of, of JJ. And JJ could care less, but in China, when you introduce yourself, you often do that. You often share your age. Chinese often ask me, how much money do I make? How much do I weigh? <laughs> Things like that that we would never ask in, in America. So what, today I wanted to talk about introductions. When I was in college, I played a game uh, as part of a ministry there, and there was an icebreaker game called Two Truths and a Lie. Has anybody ever played that? Basically, the, the way that the game works is you share three statements. Two of them are true about you, and one of them is a lie. So I thought we'd play today. I'll give you three things about me. So the first one is, just so you know, there's no prizes or anything, just, just pride of knowing that you know who Eric is. The first statement is, I lived in Yellowstone National Park. The second statement is, I have a tattoo. And the third statement is, I have a picture of my grandfather sitting on a Hall of Fame baseball player, Lou Gehrig's lap. So how many people think it's the first one, is the lie? I, I never lived in Yellowstone National Park. Raise your hand. Zach and Carl think it, a couple other people. What about I have a tattoo? Who here thinks that I don't have a tattoo? Anybody? Quite a bit of people. What about the last one? I have a picture of my grandfather. Okay, a lot of people over here saying that. Okay, well when I was in college, after my sophomore year, I went on a summer project to Yellowstone National Park where I lived there for three months. While I was there, I actually got a tattoo of an ichthus fish on my ankle. So actually, the correct answer is, I don't have a picture of my grandfather sitting on a Hall of Fame baseball player Lou Gehrig's lap. But I do have a picture, this is my grandfather being held by Babe Ruth, who's also a Hall of Fame baseball player. Pretty tricky, huh? 
I think the key to fooling somebody in that game is to make the lie very, very, very close to the truth. And then it's hard to see what the answer is. So I want to do an exercise with you today. If you have a pen and paper, go ahead and take it out. I can tell a lot of people are giving me this weird look right now, pen and paper. If you have a smartphone, go ahead and take it out. And what I want you to do is write down four words that you would use to describe yourself. Don't worry, I won't, I won't ask you to share that with your neighbors. This is just for you. I'll give you one minute to write down four words that describe yourself. Okay, now think about these words. Are they accurate? Well, sometimes they probably are. Are they true? Do they describe you 100% of the time? I'm willing to bet that unless you said, I'm six foot and I have blonde hair, it's not gonna describe yourself 100% of the time. Well, why not? Well, three things that come to mind. One is we change. I'm not the same person, thankfully, that I was 20 years ago. The second thing is, is we don't completely understand ourselves. We have blind spots. And sometimes we see ourselves from a biased perspective. Whether that's good, we see ourselves more inflated than we are, or whether that's bad, we see ourselves less than other people see us. And also, the third thing is we're sinful. So it's hard to describe ourselves, it really is. Well, what about trying to describe somebody else? Can you do that? That's really hard as well. Well, what about God? Can you accurately describe God? In college, I read a book called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And, and in it, Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say, and I'm gonna read what he says, and don't worry, I'll give you a translation in a second because it's kind of hard to understand. They that, know thee not, they that know thee not may call upon thee as thou art, other, as other than thou art, and so worship not thee, but a creature of their own fancy. Therefore, enlighten our minds that we may know thee as thou art, so that we may perfectly love thee and worthily praise thee. I realize Tozer uses some old English in this thing, and if English isn't your first language, or if you're like me, and you had to reread that like six times to figure out what in, what in the world he's, is he saying, I'll go ahead and translate it for you. Those that know God may view God different than who God actually is, so that they are not worshiping God, but a God they created. So Lord, give us wisdom so that we may know you as you are, to love and praise you perfectly. Basically what Tozer is saying is that when we worship God, but our idea of God is wrong, then we're actually worshiping an idol, a false God. So how do you think about God? Do you see him like a spiritual Santa Claus that just gives us stuff again and again, whatever we want? Or do you see him as the creator, but distant and not personal? uninvolved in our daily lives? Or do you see God as a stern and often angry disciplinarian? French philosopher Voltaire said, if God made us in his image, we have returned him the favor. I think what Voltaire is saying is something beautiful, but also at the same time very sad. He's saying that God made us in his very own image, which is what, what, what it says in Genesis. But then we have begun, begun to believe that God has made in our image. 
We are made like God, but God is not made like us. I believe what Tozer was saying, that how we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we conform God into our image, or we create an image of God that isn't true, then we're actually not worshiping God, but a fabricated idol of God. Just like the two truths and a lie game I played earlier, when the lie is close to the truth, it's much harder to see the lie. However, it's still a lie nonetheless. So when we, we're believing God to be something that he is not, then we're believing a lie. You guys tracking with me? Okay, so hopefully you're tracking with me. And if you are, you're probably asking, well, okay, Eric, I'm tracking with you. But then how do I see God for who he really is? Well, first of all, I'd like to say seeing God for who he truly is often won't change our circumstances, but it will change how we're able to abide and approach and lean into the Lord as we face those circumstances. So today, we're going to look at how does God introduce himself? Because those are words we can trust. Remember, unlike us, God does not change what God says is true, and God understands himself completely, so we can trust it. So that's why I titled this message, Two Truths and Another Truth, because there is no lie in God. So as we look at this, the passage that I'm going to go to, we're going to learn three things about God. But what I want you to think through as we look at each of those is first, what does this tell us about God? And then second, if I'm going to be more Christ-like in character, if I'm going to be more spirit-filled, if I'm going to be more in tune with the character of God, then what does this tell me about my life and about myself as I look at who God is? So we're gonna to go to Exodus 34, kind of to set the scene. Moses had brought out the Ten Commandments. He saw that the Israelites were worshiping a false god. Moses gets angry and he throws down the, the, the two tablets. So then Moses goes and gets two new tablets and goes to talk to the Lord. But at, before he does that, Moses pleads to God, God, show me your glory. So God put Moses in the cleft of a rock and said, I will pass by. He put him there in the cleft of the rock for his safety. And as he passed by, God introduces himself. So the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Later in the book of Numbers, Moses will pro protest back to God these, using these very words. Here's Moses speaking back to God. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving inequity and transgression. David, a man after God's own heart, he, he even uses these exact same words several times in the Psalms. But you, O, God, o Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Later in Psalm 103 it says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah was perhaps the most successful missionary or prophet in the whole Bible, but he had the worst attitude. But he says this, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah knew God's character. He knew God would forgive the Ninevites. God was merciful 
and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But Jonah was not. I don't have time to get to all of them today, but if you, if you look it up, Nehemiah and Joel, they also use these exact same words. So you guys see a pattern here? Not only does God use these words, but multiple times throughout the Bible, this comes out. So I truly believe we can trust it and we can see God like this. So let's unpack it a little bit. Is this how we see God? Let's look at each part. The first is merciful and gracious. Often the Bible couples mercy and grace together. Mercy is to withhold punishment that's deserved or to withhold judgment that's, that's deserved. So I deserve punishment, but it's being withheld. I heard a story once about Napoleon. Mother once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied to the young man uh, that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't seek justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, well, it would not be mercy if you deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. So mercy is something we don't deserve. Mercy is we, we deserve to be punished, and God withholds it. Grace is kind of the opposite. Grace is when we don't deserve something, something good, and God gives it to us. So God is saying, you deserve pain, but I will withhold it. Not only that, but I will give you a blessing. Do you see God as merciful and gracious? What would our lives look like if we truly did? You know, in my life, I often struggle with self-condemnation. I'm really hard on myself if I don't perform well or measure up to the expectations that I have on myself or that other people have on me. Because I'm naturally like this, I struggle to think that, that God is not like that with me as well. But God is. He's merciful and gracious. He's not con condemning me. Knowing that God is merciful and gracious, I'm willing to approach the Father. He does not his condemn his children for their wrongdoing. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and kindness. So if God gives you mercy, then do you, like me, struggle to give yourself mercy? Do you, like me, struggle with self-condemnation? Do you struggle to withhold judgment and punishment from yourself and from others? You know, recently I've been praying that the Lord would help me in my own areas of shame and also how I can shame other people. But God is not like that. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We deserve punishment, but he is merciful. The second thing I want to look at is being slow to anger. I often don't think of God as slow to anger because I don't see that in other people around. And I also don't see that in my own heart. I can be at times very quick to anger when I feel disrespected. So when do you struggle to be slow to anger? What sets you off? Is it people, circumstances, visas, Taobao, the New York Yankees winning? What, what makes you angry? I think, I think the number one thing that makes people angry 
is unmet expectations. I'll give you an example. My kid's bedtime is 8 o'clock. And so my expectation is that after 8 o'clock, it's me time. But often, my kids are, they go to bed, and then they come out and they're like, I'm not tired. I need a drink. Or I'm not tired. My brother keeps talking to me. And that interferes with me time. And it's easy for me to get angry. It's also easy for me to get angry when I drive in, in, in Beijing. So, so, but God is slow to anger. And if you're like me, you struggle to believe that. But here God says it's true, and it is. Well, what about in my own life? As I model my life after the Lord, what would it look like if I was slow to anger? When we first got a car in Beijing, we lived inside Fourth Ring Road, and it was a super, super stressful time to drive. There were bikes everywhere, cars. It's not like driving out in Shunyi. Inside the city, it was, it was scary. My wife and I, when we'd get in the car, we'd pray for like 10 minutes before we'd even turn the car on. And, but around that same time, I decided to surprise my wife with a gift I had bought her. When JJ was little, she listened to this record that she had called The Music Machine. And she talked about it with such fond memories that I decided to look for it online, and I found it in CD form. And I got it for JJ. Well, our kids liked it so much, the songs really are very catchy, that when we first started driving in Beijing, that was the only thing that the kids wanted to listen to in the car. And it kept them quiet, so we listened to it constantly. I don't think that CD left the CD player for like the first four months, because our kids just wanted that again and again and again. Well, the music machine, I didn't know this. Actually, JJ didn't even remember this as a kid. But the music machine is actually a CD, and each song is about the fruit of the Spirit. So here I am, stressed out. My knuckles are white, driving through Beijing. And there's songs about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And driving in, in Beijing is definitely an exercise in walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. I would get cut off, and I'd begin to feel the anger boiling up inside me. But then I'd hear my four-year-old son in the back singing, have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry. <laughs> and then I realized, where's my heart at? Why is this anger boiling up inside me? So it's hard to stay angry when you're constantly singing songs about love and joy and self-control. So what would it look like if you truly saw God as slow to anger? Well, it would make me want to experience God more. If God really is slow to anger, I would want to be in his presence. When I was in high school, one of my best friends had an alcoholic, very angry dad. And it was a sad situation. But we all tried our best to avoid, avoid his dad, including my friend. He would avoid his own dad because his dad was constantly angry. And he would drink and we would never know what, what kind of situation our friend would be in. So that made me want to avoid him. But God's not like that. God's safe. I can approach, as it says in Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. So let's look at what it says when it says abounding in loving kindness, or steadfast love. The Hebrew word here is hesed. Some people translated that a loyal love. Hesed is a beautiful word that communicates so much more 
than our English translations can do justice. Because of its richness, translators struggle to find what's the right word or words to translate hesed. I guess you could say it's like one of our Chinese words. My, my wife has actually made it a personal goal of hers to help our friends back in America understand this one Chinese word. Because she uses it a lot. And it means a lot more than, than what, we, what we say it means. And anybody want to guess what that word might be? Mafan. The word mafan has all different layers to it. Sure, the, sure the dictionary says it means incon inconvenient or troublesome, but we all know it means way more than that. And so now our friends in America know the word mafan when, when JJ uses it in all the different contexts and, and idiosyncrasies of that word. So hesed is kind of like that. It's a hard word to translate. Some people translate it loving kindness, others loyal love, but it means so much more. So Vine's expository dictionary, which, is a, which looks at the actual texts uh, in, their, in their original language, says this. In general, one may identify three basic meanings of hesed. And these three meanings always interact. Strength, steadfastness, and love. Any understanding of hesed that fails to suggest all three inevitably loses some of its richness. Hesed is really used in relationship to covenant. Specifically in the Old Testament, you see it used uh, when talking about the covenant between God and Israel. And the interesting thing is that word mostly appears when Israel is in the middle of breaking the covenant, when they're in rebellion. God comes in and talks about his loving kindness. God comes in and talks about his strength and his steadfastness and his love. It's a reminder to us like it says in 2 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy, it says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. When we, are, when we rebel, like the prodigal son, he is the loving father. He has a loyal love. He is in it for the long haul. He is patient and long-suffering. He loves us even when there's no love within us. I heard it said once that it's an unselfish love. It never asks the question, What's in it for me? I wish I could love people like that. I wish I could love people without asking the question, what's in it for me? I wish I could have his said in my life. I'm awed that God is like that. You know, Carl, last week, he shared uh, that we try to take control of, the, of our lives by standing on the chair. A few weeks ago, I tore my hamstring, so I'm not gonna try and get up on the chair, or else it could be really bad. But uh, he used this as an illustration that we try and take control and place ourselves on the throne. We don't allow God to lead us. I think it's important for us not to be on the chair. I wholeheartedly do. Because we want to let God lead and direct us. But I also want you to hear, and if you walk away today and you only hear one thing from me, this is what I want you to hear. You guys ready? Even when you're on the chair, when you're not letting God lead, God loves you very, very much with his said. He loves you with his steadfast love. Just like the Israelites when they were in rebellion, God loved them. Not based on me being on the chair or me not being on the chair, but based on the covenant that God has with us when we become, when we become believers. And it's his love that transforms us. 
Like the song we sang earlier, thank you Ian and the worship team for playing that. I asked them to play the song, Kindness, because I love the line in it. It actually comes from Romans 2, where it says, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. So the number one thing that gets me off the chair is experiencing God's love. I've learned a lot about God through parenting, especially through my wife helping me to parent better. Like most men, I realize that I can be very direct with my kids. And I order my kids, I order my kids around very directly. And thankfully, they obey me most of the time. But what my wife has taught me is that I can have their obedience, but often I don't have their hearts. But as I engage their hearts, their obedience will follow. The Lord's kindness has said is what leads me to repentance. It's what leads me off the chair. It's what leads me to want to surrender my life to him. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more, but there's also nothing we can do to make God love us less. Now, recently I've talked to several people at Capitol, and they've been struggling with knowing whether they are truly in a relationship with God. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that we are saved, they've done that but now they have begun to question. So this is my favorite verse to bring people to when I talk to them about this. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a picture of his love. You know, at times I struggle with my own salvation. And the number one reason has nothing to do with God. It has to do with me. Could I have done something that separated me from God? Well, here in Romans 8, it says, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Anything else in all creation, that includes me. So there's nothing I can do that would separate me from God's love. Remember, he has that covenant with us has said, it's that steadfastness, it's that love. So how does believing in has said change how I approach God? Well, I grew up believing that if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't. I find that even now, I can live my life in fear. The moment I find myself comfortable and think, oh, things are going really well, I fear that God would take that away from me. I fear that that he would be some sort of harmful or unloving God. But as I believe that he is full of grace and mercy, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, as I begin to experience what that means to have said in my heart and in my life, that helps me not to live in fear. So this week, I want you to think about and ponder, who is God? Is he merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness? I really believe, like Tozer, this is one of the most important things that we can believe and think about when, th- when we think about God. And I truly believe as you begin to see God like this, so much of your problems and issues and circumstances in life, they'll fade into the background as he becomes bigger and bigger. So I want you to ponder said. Now you guys know a, a new Hebrew word. What does said mean in your life? And I would challenge you to ask the Lord for you to experience his said in your life this week. Let me pray. 
Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Thank you that you love us, not because of who we are, or not because of what we do, but because of who we are. Thank you that we, we get to experience you. Help us to experience his said. Help us to experience your love. And Lord, I pray that your kindness would lead us to repentance. Father, I pray that you would help us to experience you this week and experience his said this week. It's in your name I pray. Amen.